Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope your day's been going well. I'm so glad you uh, decided to spend a little time with me. I love hanging out with you. And uh, it's Monday, so let's. Uh, it's Monday, the first Monday of the month, too. So you know what that means, uh, or I should say I know what that means. That means Ken Samples is going to be joining me, which he does on the first Monday of the month. He is a senior research fellow at Reasons to Believe. He's also uh, quite an author. He's written a number of books. Some of his more famous ones are Christianity Cross-Examined, classic Christian thinkers, and God among the sages. I've been wondering what he's been up to lately, and he did come out with another book, Christianity Cross-Examined. Is it rational, relevant, and good? So I'm glad to know he isn't just sitting around doing nothing. Ken, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bill. It's good to talk to you. Okay. You sound a little loud, but I think we can maybe get that cleared up on Rosie's end. Um, so glad you're back with me today. I, I find it... Um, Always that I learn a lot when you come on, so I appreciate that. I want to talk with you today um, the difference between reality and illusion. Does that sound like an interesting topic? I like it. All right. And when we talk about that, um, where's a good starting place? Because, you know, I, I'm just a layman, so a radio host. I'm not a philosopher or a theologian. So I would think that your take would be probably different than mine. Well, you're not just a radio talk show host, but, you know, uh, Bill, one of the, I would call it the greatest philosophical story ever told, is what we call Plato's Cave. Have you heard of it? I heard about it about an hour ago when I was looking at show prep. (laughs) Very good. Yeah. Well, Plato, of course, is, I would say, arguably in the top three all-time in terms of great philosophers. Um, His dates are 427 to 347 B.C., so he lives about 400 years before the birth of Christ, and he's a storyteller. I think that's one of the reasons why he's such a great philosopher, because people like to, they like to be told stories, and He tells the story called The Allegory of the Cave, which I think is really an incredible story about contrasting uh, truth and reality. Okay. Can I tell you a little bit about the, the allegory itself? I practically insist. Very good. Well, think of this. Plato says, think of men that have always lived in a cave. Now, you know what caves are like. They're, they're dark. They're cold. Um, I went into a cave uh, on vacation one time, and I literally, and I, I very seldom say the word literally, but I could, I could <laughs> literally not see my hand in front of my face. Now, now Plato says that these people are born in the cave. They've always lived in the cave. And unfortunately, they're tied to the back wall of the cave, and above them and behind them, there is a fire burning. They can't see it, 
but people walk in front of the fire and it casts shadows onto the back of the cave. Now, unfortunately, these men look at the shadows and they think it's real. No. So their whole, their whole life, their whole existence, they've been looking at shadows on the back wall of the cave and they think it's reality. Mm. Now, something profound happens. One of the men gets out of his chains and he makes his way up out of the cave and actually gets outside and immediately he sees the sun and of course he's blinded immediately but slowly and gradually he realizes wow there's actually a whole different world out here that I was totally unaware of so he decides immediately I'm gonna go back and tell my friends and so they can be liberated they, they can realize that they were seeing shadows on the wall not reality so when he goes back in the cave, of course, he, he can't see again. He has problems adjusting to the cave. Finally gets to his friend and he tells him, I, I, I can't believe what I have to tell you. Those shadows, th those realities are shadows and there is a whole different world. And of course, uh, his friends, um, they belittle him, they criticize him. In fact, they become so angry at his dismissal of their reality, they want to kill him. Now, uh, an allegory is intended to be a story containing a hidden meaning. The hidden meaning is usually moral, political, or spiritual. So I think this is the greatest philosophical story ever told, and I'm happy to tell you why I think that. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Please continue. Well, if you think of Plato himself, I think there's probably a couple ideas that he had in mind. Plato is really well known for the idea that uh, the world in which we live here, this is the world of matter, energy, time, and space, the world we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. Plato believed that this world is like a Xerox copy and that the real world, the real reality, exists in this transcendental forms or ideas. So that's kind of his metaphysical belief system. But if I could go a bit further, Plato also, Plato has a hero, and his hero is Socrates. And remember, Socrates gets in trouble because uh, he's a teacher. In fact, some people would put Socrates and Jesus and Confucius up there as three arguably of the greatest teachers of all time. But Socrates gets in trouble because he challenges the political beliefs of the time. Uh, they think he's rather irreligious. They think he's corrupting the minds of young people and they put him on trial. And uh, ultimately he has to drink the hemlock or he chooses to tr drink the hemlock. So I think that this story relates to Plato's ideas but Bill, I would also say this. Um, I think there's a lot to learn here about us when it comes to looking at reality and making sure that we're not just looking at shadows on the wall. Mm. I'm, I'm with you, Ken. This is a fascinating story and topic, and I, I can't wait to dig more into this. Tell me uh, what your understanding is as to why Plato, what was his purpose in, in even creating this allegory? Well, 
again, I think he is trying to convey, which is fundamental to his own particular philosophy, that this world is not the the whole thing. Mm-hmm. This world is not the whole reality. And and think, Bill, of some of the worldview ideas that we interact with. I mean, if you're an atheist, if you're a naturalist, you believe the physical world is all there is, then you look at the world and you say, that's it. There's nothing else. But maybe you're a Hindu and you look at the world and you say, no, this world's an illusion. There's this other world. Mm-hmm. But if you're a Christian, you might look at this world and say, no, this world is real, but it's not all there is. So in some respects, I think Plato lays down a foundation. Well, we could apply it to Jesus. I mean, Jesus comes into the world as the Messiah, as the Savior. He goes to the Jewish people. He conveys to them who he is, God in human flesh, the Son of God, his role to redeem lost humanity. But what happens to him? He is ultimately arrested. He is ultimately crucified. Um, is it possible? Is it possible anytime somebody comes and tells you a fundamentally different story about reality, there's always going to be pushback to that kind of thing? So when I first heard the story of the cave, I immediately thought of Jesus. Jesus comes into the world and he makes claims. And people look at those claims and say, wow, um, I can't accept that. So I think that this is a very powerful story. And I think it's, I think it's been utilized by many people to kind of, uh, you know, get you thinking about whether what you're looking at is real or whether it's an illusion. Mm. So interesting, Ken. Uh, this is a great story that I think we can all kind of process and dissect because it does represent the opposition that Jesus had when he came to earth. I mean, the authorities wanted to kill him and he claimed to be the son of God and that's why they put him on the cross. Lots of opposition. Exactly. And I, I, I think if you think of the way, you know, let's, let's just take three again. We'll take a Christian view. We'll take a Hindu view we'll take an atheist view. The atheist is going to say there is only this world. The idea that there's another world is totally an illusion. And you are, you're illusory if you think there's something beyond this world. The Hindu says the opposite, at least the philosophical Hindu. They would say uh, this world may be an illusion, so you have to look to the other world. But Christians would say God created this world, but there is also a reality which is coming. And so I think it's kind of uh, pregnant with all kinds of provocative ideas. Yeah, it's interesting, Ken, to look at the different views. I mean, I've heard an atheist once say to me, when you die, it's lights out and your your worm food, and that's it. And I thought, boy, there is a person with a very dark heart. Well, think of the question, you know, I, I often think of how would I describe Christianity in a single word? 
one of the words I would use would be grace, but I think the word I would use here, Bill, is hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a naturalist worldview, if, if this material world is all there is, and your brain dies, which means your mind dies, which means your consciousness dies, you're out of luck. There, you, existence is gone. There's no reconciliation with you and your, your loved ones. And so, you know, Plato, again, is, is telling us a very provocative story. And, of course, one of the reasons I think it's provocative, Bill, is, is it possible that we can be seeing shadows? That is, is it possible we're not working hard enough to see the reality? Instead, we're accepting shadows on the wall. Mm. Boy, is that provocative. Ken, let me uh, chew on that over the 90-second break we're going to have, and I will come back with some profound answers of some kind. I don't know what they're going to be yet, but, I mean, i got 90 seconds to figure it out. So Ken Samples is my guest. He's a um, senior fellow at Reasons to Believe, and we're uh, talking about Plato's Cave. Who would have ever thunk that we'd talk about Plato's Cave today? But here we are. Incredible similarity to Jesus coming and facing opposition and I'm, when I come back, I want to find out why this story is so haunting. We'll be right back. got Ken Samples as my guest today. He's a theologian and philosopher. He's senior scholar at Reasons to Believe. You can always go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken and his amazing brain. Uh, today we're talking about Plato's Cave. Do you know the difference between reality and illusion? That's the topic today. And if you have a question or a comment or maybe you heard Ken say something you'd like more clarification on, you are always welcome on this show to let me know what it is, and I will ask Ken on your behalf. All you have to do is text me the question, 877-933-2484. So, Ken, let's talk about the story's haunting. Tell me why. Yeah, it is exactly that. Let me introduce you to a person you and your listeners know a lot about. Um, that person is John F. Kennedy. This was the 35th president of the United States. Of course, Kennedy was assassinated in, in November 22, 1963. But let me tell you a little bit about JFK. JFK was born into a very wealthy family in 1917. His father, when his father died, Joseph P. Kennedy, who was very famous and was... Uh, he was the ambassador to the United Kingdom during the beginning of the world, Second World War. But when Kennedy was born, his father had about $660 million. Today, that's probably a couple billion. He was one of the richest men in America. So when Kennedy was born and lived his life, he may never have cooked a meal. 
He may never have made a bed. He may never have ironed his own clothes. Um, he had extraordinary wealth. In fact, so much so, Bill, that Kennedy said he, he didn't know anything about the Great Depression until he went to Harvard as a college student. Now, that's, that, that's kind of an amazing thing, but, but think about that. Um, you know, many of us kind of sleepwalk through life, and we're only kind of exposed. I mean, I can't even relate to the idea of not making a bed or not ironing your own clothes. But let's go a little further with this uh, use of President Kennedy. Um, Kennedy, of course, was very wealthy, but what a lot of people don't know is he was very sick most of his life. He had Addison's disease in the early stages. They didn't know how to treat it. And so he was, he was very ill. In fact, he received the last rites of the Catholic Church three times, so twice before he was, he was shot in Dallas. Now, um, because of his illness, he figured, I'm not going to live very long. So what do I do with my life? Well, he, he decided one thing is he said, I'm going to have as much fun as I possibly can. And there are stories that Kennedy slept with unknown numbers of women. In fact, he, he viewed women largely as uh, uh, sexual playthings for him. Um, now, on the other side of the coin, he also realized, though, um, you know, I, I'm going to die. I'm probably going to die sooner than most people, but not only did he turn toward what I would call sensualism, but he also, he also figured, hey, I want to I be financially affluent, and I want to go down in history. Well, you know, he's kind of developing these ideas, but of course the question is, when President Kennedy was killed in Dallas, did he go into the next world? And how will those ideas then, then affect him? And I think in many respects, Bill, we do sleepwalk through life. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to ask the deep questions of life. It takes a lot of courage to say, you know what? Death is not just theoretical. It's a reality. And, you know, uh, maybe I'll live longer than most people. Maybe, maybe I'll live into my late 70s or early 80s. But all of us are, are going to die. So what do we do? Are we looking at shadows on the wall? Now, a couple other things here we could add to this mix. What about politics? What, what I know about politics, Bill, is we typically move toward our political perspective, call it an ideology, if you will, and the older we get, the less likely we are to take in new data. So we get used to listening to people who agree with us. And we tend to get increasingly uncomfortable with somebody who might come along and challenge us. Well, again, I'm suggesting that things like your upbringing, your family, think of JFK, uh, think of the media, think of schools, other cultural factors kind of shape us in this regard and now let me let me even say for Christians um, 
Too many Christians have blind faith. They have faith, they have trust, but they don't know much about what the foundation is for putting that faith and trust in God. That is, Christians can sometimes have blind faith rather than what I would call faith-seeking understanding. Mm, like so that. all of these ideas kind of look at that, am I looking at reality or am I looking at illusion? Such a great point, Ken. I remember Kierkegaard saying once that faith was a leap in the dark, and, and when you were making reference to being in a cave and not being able to see your own hand in front of your face, I had that experience once too, where it was so dark, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And then to Kirk, Kierkegaard's point, when is the last time you were in a room that dark? And what what it what you thought to do was to leap. <laughs> you know, at that point, you're so carefully and tenderly putting your hands out, looking for the next thing to grab onto, so you don't crash. That's right. I mean, how often when I've been teaching students. Uh, in in philosophy you know it may be a an ethics class it may be a just a general introduction to philosophy or or logic i would always give them a written assignment and what i would tell them is you know if it's an ethics class and you want to you want to critique uh abortion go right ahead but at the end of your paper i want you to tell me what the best argument is on the other side namely i want you to tell me the best argument that actually goes against your position and how you would handle it oh i like that so 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 maybe you believe in capital punishment you believe that the death penalty is is something that we should practice i want to hear why you think that but always give me the best argument on the other side now, now, here's part of the problem with, with this kind of thing. We don't seem to have an awareness to ask ourselves those kinds of things. A lot of times when it comes to politics, we don't ask the question, well, what if there's a really thoughtful, reflective person on the other side, and they actually have good reasons for believing something that we don't believe or we disbelieve? Um, again, as we get older, we have a tendency not to ask those kinds of questions. And, and so there are times where I think to myself, uh, is it possible I could be in a cave? Is it possible I'm looking at shadows that I've always been told are real, but I've never really gone through a real self-analysis, a wow. real reflection? All right, you're asking all kinds of very provocative questions today. Ken Samples is my guest from Reasons to Believe. We're talking about Plato's Cave today. Is it reality or illusion? If you have questions, comments, let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. We'll be back in just uh, a little bit with Ken Samples. It's 
So glad to be back with Ken Samples today. We're talking about Plato's cave. Plato was a pretty smart guy, not quite as smart as Ken Samples, but I <laughs> never knew Plato, but I know Ken. So this is why I'm making this uh, observation here, uh, Ken. So as we talk about Plato's cave, I think if you missed any of this, it's really helpful to go back to the top of the broadcast. Um, but maybe you could give a, a quick revisit of Plato's Cave, you know, just for people who just climbed in their car, because I'd hate them to lose out on the second half of the show. Yeah, Plato is an extraordinary philosopher, Bill, and I, I think I think in many ways it's because he was a, a great communicator. I mean, it's sometimes very hard to read ancient authors, but you can actually pick up Plato and make sense of him. Uh, and that's truly an extraordinary thing. So he's he's a storyteller. I mean, I think if Plato was living today, he'd work for Disney. <laughs> he's going to tell you a story that's going to reach out and grab your mind or grab your right. heart. So he says there are men that are born in a cave. They've lived in this cave forever. And actually, they're in bondage. They're enslaved. They're tied to the back wall. But they don't know that there's a fire behind them and it's casting shadows on the wall. They think it's real. In fact, they're proud of how their eyesight, they can see various things. Of course, the great irony is one of the men gets out of the cave and discovers that they have been enslaved. He finds his way out of the cave into the world, sees, sees a whole world out there, the sun. When he goes back to tell his friends, you know, we've been we've been enslaved our whole life and I've discovered reality. The interesting thing is friends want to kill him. They don't they don't say, oh, thank the Lord you have Hmm. delivered us. They're hostile with him, which which again, I think, tells us something that Plato wanted us to understand about human nature. We we tend to have biases. We tend to have prejudices. And of course, if you believe in the biblical doctrine of original sin, people are kind of set in their ways. And of course, what, is, what does that say about Jesus? He comes into the world. He comes to the very his own very people. And the people that are the most hostile are the people that are in the leadership of the religion. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. I think what I think what makes Plato's cave very powerful, Bill, is that I think he's telling a story that really can relate to all people. All of us are searching for truth, and all of us can be tempted by illusion. Mm-hmm. Ken, I appreciate you recapping that for people who just climbed in their car, but it was also helpful for me to hear it a second time. So thank you for that. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about sensualism, materialism, and egoism as it relates to this. Yeah. Um, again, if I can, if I could go back to uh, John F. Kennedy. Um, you know, it, it is said that Kennedy came from a very wealthy family, and uh, yet he was also a very sick individual. Um, mm-hmm very interesting bill that he he had his father pull strings to get him into world war ii that is he faked good health so he could actually be part of world war ii now now that that's an extraordinary thing wow um and so he had to actually uh fake good health 
But when he came back from World War II, he was six feet tall. He weighed 120 pounds. He was very sick. Of course, during the war, he was courageous. His, his PT boat got cut in half. He rescued his crew. But here we have a man that maybe Blaise Pascal would say he's, he's great and wretched. I mean, there's a real temptation for anybody to look at the world and say, hey, life, life's fragile, life goes quickly. Why shouldn't I just go for all of the sensual benefits? Not, not just sex, but maybe for fashion and, and, and maybe anything that appeals to my senses, I'll, I'll load up on that. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe it's materialism, not metaphysical materialism, but maybe it's all about making the money. Maybe, maybe it's about accumulating wealth. And then, and then thirdly, what about egoism? Maybe it's all about me. Well, the Christian worldview says that sensualism, materialism, and egoism, those are shadows on the wall. Those are illusions. You're enslaved by those things. And when you, re- when you see reality, you'll recognize that that reality is found in something much deeper than those things. Mm-hmm. Now, now, one other point, Bill, and that's this. You know, notice that, notice that the problem with sensualism, materialism, and egoism, those are not bad things. They're good things that are misused. I mean, sex is not a bad thing. It was created by God. A man and a woman married, they can make love to the glory of God. You know, when it comes to money, when you go to the grocery store and you want to buy some groceries, it's nice to have some money in your wallet. It's nice to have some money that you can help out somebody with. How about egoism? Well, is it wrong to be a person of accomplishment? Is it necessarily wrong for a person to become well-known for doing something good? Part of the illusion, Bill, part of the illusion of sin is that we take good things and we corrupt them. Yeah, that I get, that I understand. So now I'm going to start asking some of the tougher questions because are we, are we, is it possible we're living in a cave? That's the, you know, that's really the haunting thing about it. Um, in 2003, I came down with a life-threatening illness. I had uh, what actually what it was is I had a bacterial infection and I had six abscess brain lesions. Oh my. And the mortality rate is 80%. So 80% of the people who had what I had, uh, they die. Well, I remember the doctors didn't know what it was. They thought maybe it's brain cancer. And then another doctor said, well, it could be bacteria, but we're not sure. So I remember one night late, my wife and kids went home, all my friends went home. I was in the hospital all alone. The nurse had, had uh, you know, gone away. And I sat in my bed. I laid in my bed. I couldn't sit. I had to lay down. Bill, I asked myself the question, you know, I'm a Christian, but could I be wrong? Hmm. I thought to myself, what if I die and it's lights out? What if there's, what if there's no soul? And the death of the body is the death of Ken. Or then I thought, what if I got the wrong God? What if I got the wrong religion? 
What if, what if Allah is going to stare me in the face? Well, thinking was difficult because of the brain lesions and thinking was difficult because of the drugs they were treating me with. But slowly and gradually, I started asking myself the fundamental questions I've thought about for years. I thought, well, no, wait a second here. I have good reasons to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I have good reasons to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. If I compare Jesus to Krishna, Buddha, Confucius, and Muhammad, Jesus is, he has much greater credentials. But, but the reality is, how many people are going to ask those types of questions? I mean, how often do we politically ask, is it possible I'm not getting all the information and maybe I ought to open myself to hearing, you know, other sides? Of course, part of the challenge with that is you have to assume that there are some reflective people on the other side who really are credible people. But I think the reality, Bill, is that there are biases, there are prejudices, and we're all susceptible to them. And I think the only way we can overcome them is by being rigorously reflective. And so my faith tells me that there's good reasons for what I believe. My relationship tells me with God that uh, Jesus is my savior and he is credible. And the gospels invite me to test and see whether, whether this message is in fact correct. But what about people who don't ask those deep questions? Yeah, that's a great point. I love what you said earlier in the hour, Ken, too, where we spend a lot of our time talking to people that have come to our similar conclusions, and that when a student is making a point about something, you also ask them to give the strongest point in opposition or in favor of it. I can't remember which one it was, but... Um, to me, that is a powerful tool for doing some deep reflective thinking, in my humble opinion. Well, just a quick note about John F. Kennedy. You know, um, about 30 years ago, I came to the conclusion that actually Oswald actually did the shooting all by himself. But I thought, you know, there are people out there, Bill, who believe in conspiracies. I want to read the best conspiracy guy on the other side. Sure. So I looked and looked, and it was hard to find a thoughtful conspiracy person, but I came across G. Gordon uh, Blakey. He was uh, the head of the House Select Committee on Assassinations. I read two of his books. At the end, I thought, uh, Dr. Blakey, you don't convince me, but I was looking for somebody to challenge me. I think that's a healthy thing. Yeah, I do too. So when, we, when I ask you if we're possibly living in a cave, you did help, un, help me understand that point. But the other point that you brought up earlier in the previous half hour was the idea of sleepwalking through life. And that was kind of unnerving when you said that, because I, I certainly don't want that to be me, and I hope that's not me. <laughs> well, you know, again, I mean, we are creatures of our environment. We are people who are exposed to, you know, our environmental ideas. I mean, it, it is possible that 
people can come along who come from very different backgrounds and they can help us see, you know, new ideas. I mean, you know, by living in, in Minneapolis that there have been racial tensions that have rocked uh, America. Well, is it possible that there are people on all sides of this issue that could benefit from hearing a reasonable perspective from another angle. Now, now again, just like when I was looking for a reasonable voice who believed in a conspiracy, I had to look very carefully. I'm not going to listen to just anybody because some people, their views are not terribly credible and I'm not going to take the time to listen to them. But if we can be open and if we are aware that there is this tendency to kind of you know, just keep moving in the same direction. That's one thing, Bill, I really like about philosophy. Philosophy teaches me that there is a healthy skepticism. Now, I'm not a skeptic. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian theist. I think I can make a case not only that God exists, but that Jesus is the Son of God. But critical thinking is something I see as being very valuable. I agree. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a uh, philosopher and theologian. He is the uh, senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. And it's an amazing place that, that researches and communicates how God's revelation in the Bible harmonizes with science and philosophy. We'll take a short break as we're talking today about Plato's cave. And when I come back, I want to ask him about uh, how does Plato's cave relate to politics and to Christianity. That's all ahead coming up next. Samples is my guest. He's at Reasons to Believe. You can head to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. He's written a number of books, uh, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. I thought he was sitting around doing nothing, but he also came out with Christianity Cross-Examined. Is it rational, relevant, and good? It's a great book as well. We're talking today about Plato's Cave, which is a brand new experience for me, and I have a feeling many others as well, Ken, so maybe my question would be, Plato's cave, you know, does it relate to things like politics and Christianity? Yeah, I really do think it does, Bill. I mean, remember the story, the guy gets out of the cave that he's lived his entire life. He sees the sun and he's blinded. Slowly, the, the blindness goes away and he starts to see, wow, there's a whole world out here. But when he goes back in the cave to rescue his friends, well, then his eyes are again not used to the darkness. So when he gets to them, they look at him and they say, what are you talking about? You can't even see as well as we do. Well, what is it, what is it like politically to, um, to have somebody come to you and give you a different perspective? You know, I noticed, uh, I noticed last year that 
whenever I travel to various cities, um, I notice that the television channel is almost always CNN. Uh, you know, if I go to Los Angeles or if I go to New York or if I go to Chicago, I walk in to the hotel, CNN. Well, last year, right before the pandemic, I went to South Carolina. I walked into the hotel late at night, Fox News. Mm. I thought, wow, that's the first time I've actually seen that. Is it possible that with things like culture, with our backgrounds, with our tradition, that we're not exposed to a lot of the ideas. We're not kind of challenged. And I think it's possible that politically we could be in a cave. Now, in terms of faith, I mean, skeptics are very critical of faith. They think, you know, faith is believing what you know ain't true. Um, but Christian faith actually says that we have confident trust in a credible and a reliable source. So it, it is faith. I'm not saying that there isn't, I, you know, I don't have all the data to support my position, but I have a lot of good data, which leads me to conclude that on the things I'm less sure about, I can still trust the Lord for. But I think, I think, Bill, this story should leave us uneasy. Now, for me, it's rather haunting. But I think this story should make you feel a little uneasy, like, you know, maybe I haven't done my due diligence when it comes to politics or when it comes to my faith. Maybe I haven't taken more responsibility and insisted that, I'm in a line with reality rather than possible illusion. Hmm. That's really interesting. I, I probably have said this before, but I think oftentimes we exchange monologues with each other. I don't know if we listen as much as we say, this is my position, and when you stop talking, Ken, I'll tell you my position. I think that that is so common. Um, I mean, I think that's exactly right. A lot of times when we're supposed to have a conversation. I hear the person talking, but I'm just waiting for them to stop so I can jump in. Rather, rather than maybe the idea that, wow, you know, this person sees the world a little differently than me. They've had different experiences. Is there something I can learn? Or is there some common ground we might be able to build together? Mm-hmm. So... You take ignorance, you take bias, and you take tradition. Does that indicate or point us to the fact that maybe we are living in illusion? Well, I, I think that uh, I think some people rejected Jesus as the Messiah for those very reasons. Um, he didn't fit with the tradition. He didn't fit with our pre preconceptions. And he was at odds with some of what people thought the Messiah would be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say, Bill, I think we all live in a cave in some ways. I think, however, to, to really be rigorous, we, we have to kind of look at issues and say, 
uh, I haven't stopped thinking. I mean, I had an atheist come to me and he said, uh, you know, Ken, you're a thoughtful guy. What would it take for you to give up Christianity and become an atheist? So I said to him, well, I said, now look, I've, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've spent a lot of time reading and thinking and reflecting, reading the best philosophers on all sides of the issue. I've written books in these fields. I have an investment. So I said the likelihood of me giving up my faith is, is not very strong. But I then said to him, I said, you, but realize I haven't stopped thinking. I, I, because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I can't hear criticisms and weigh them and evaluate them. Now, of course, I've met atheists where I would say to them, you know, what would it take for you to give up your atheism and go to church with me? <laughs> Sometimes they've told me, there's nothing you can say that would ever convince me to accept religion. Well, who's being, who's, who has faith and who's being reasonable? Yeah, there's a spiritual blindness there, perhaps. God has not drawn that person yet or something, but that's a, that's a pretty strong stance. And, and Bill, think about that. I mean, maybe the most diabolical thing about sin is it does blind you. I mean, my wife has come to me at times and said, Ken, don't you see this? And I'm like, well, I see, you know, I see the faults in all my other friends. I, <laughs> I see the things they do, but I'm like oblivious. I mean, what if you're oblivious to the fact that you are actually in a cave? Mm. Boy, that's thought-provoking. Thanks a lot, Ken. Probably won't sleep good tonight. My goal is to make you a little uneasy, Bill. Well, you've succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, a listener ask this question. Would Ken consider himself a peacemaker? And if so, how would he advise others to become one? Great question. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. I do see myself as a peacemaker. Whenever I meet Christians, I always try to think about three things. Truth, unity, and charity. I try to ask, where, what do we have in common? I think of Jesus' prayer to the Father, that, that God's people will be one as the Father is one with the Son. Um, I, think, I think we have to think about empathy. I think we have to think about the idea that there is, uh, there is value in being a peaceful, caring, loving person. Really, uh, I, I love that. Truth, unity, and charity. Charity, yeah. I wrote that down, but I can't read my own handwriting. That's kind of sad. <laughs> and empathy. I think there's a incredible loss of empathy in the world today. We are not getting in each other's shoes at all um, and kind of walking out what their experience is and trying to understand their point. Or I should say, I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job with that. Well, I'll tell you what, Bill, you, um, you're a person I really appreciate. Um, you are not only a quick study, but I can tell you love ideas and you love people. I do love people, and I, I'm intrigued with ideas. Um, I, and like you, Ken, I hope I never stop thinking. And I always say if I want to be a person of influence, you have to be a person willing to be influenced. And there are some things I read that I think, huh, I think I'm evolving on certain things, not when it comes to biblical doctrine at all, 
But sure. when it comes to the ways in which God wants me out in the world, uh, reaching the lost. Yeah, I mean, biblically speaking, I contend for the truth. Uh, that's what Jude tells me. But I seek to promote unity, and I always want to be as charitable as I possibly can. Yeah, we have certainly given us plenty to think about the uh, the Plato's cave, and are we living in illusion or reality? And are we sleepwalking through life? If you've missed any of this discussion with Ken Samples, you're going to want to go back to the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. It has been a wonderful hour. Ken, always nice to have you on the show. I appreciate you very much. My pleasure, Bill. Thanks. Ken Samples has been my guest. If you want to learn more about Ken and his writing and his books, you can go to Reasons.org. He's a senior research scholar there at Reasons to Believe. That wraps up our show for the day. I have enjoyed this day a lot. Thanks to Patrick and to David Miles and Rosie B. for the Monday afternoon mix and my full hour with Ken Samples at Reasons to Believe. It's been a wonderful time. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm already excited for tomorrow. Jeff Dorn's going to be joining me. Uh, we're going to be talking about Psalm 22. It's going to be a great day. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.